<laughs> All right. That brings us to our um, consideration for today. And it's on the back page of the bulletin. And it's from George Orwell. And it's about speaking truth. And he says this about speaking truth. The further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those that speak it. And that, my friends, is a fact. And you can find that um, in your own personal lives today. You know, you tell people, you could tell people a lie and they'll just they'll go along all. You have no problem with people. Tell them the truth. You got problems. You know, you just it's hard to tell people the truth today. They don't want to hear and anything. And it's not even just biblical things. Any kind of truth, people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it at all. And so it's just really interesting. Um, and Orwell was correct. We've been talking about glory um, in the New Testament. We were coming out of the Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 um, concerning uh, the, fa- the transformation of the believer from glory to glory and the fact that you and I can actually manifest God's life and activity which is something that uh, the Old Testament saints never were able to do. You can go back and you can grab any Old Testament saint that you can find. They were never able to glorify God in the way that you and I can today. Why? Because they didn't have the life of the Son indwelling them. And that life can be seen out um, today, unlike any other time before. And so we want to examine, because we start looking at 2 Corinthians 3.18 about the fact that we are transformed from glory to glory. And we want to examine what does that transformation actually look like? What does it look like to be transformed uh, from glory to glory? And so Paul talks about it a little bit and gives you a little bit more insight in chapter 4 as he talks about the fact that uh, the life of Christ being seen out in us. Make no mistake about it. You and I, we're not here. The main, let me say this, put it this way. The main reason that we are here is this. And so you may think that you're here because of whatever reason that you come up with. But really, the, the opportunity to be able to glorify God and, that, and the life of the Son to be seen out in those good works that we do. If you had a list of those good works that you, you were going to do and you were able to see the last one that you did, you know what you would see that would accompany that? Your departure. Your departure. Because the moment you and I finish those last good works that God has for us to do, there's nothing else for us to do, and we will go home. That's what we're here for. It would be like you going to work and you're, and you're going there for something else. Let's just say that I was working at FedEx and I went to FedEx and I didn't go to deliver packages Maybe I went there and I thought that I was some kind of singer. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not going out today. I'm here to sing. <laughs> and I said, what? Are you, have you lost your mind? Right? That's comical, right? But how many people see themselves as being here in this life for something other than what God has said? Right? But this is what we're here for. And so this element of being able to allow the life of the sun to be seen out in our lives is crucial to that. And so you have a lot of people today. It's all the outward from your religious people inside the church who believe that just, OK, I hope nobody's wearing crosses. OK, wearing crosses. <laughs> Somebody just hit theirs. <laughs> wearing crosses or all of these paraphernalia, bumper stickers. Um, I had a brother that back some years ago had a bumper sticker on his car, and I could see when he went carnal because he took the bumper sticker off. You know what it said? <laughs> you know what it said? Uh, turn right or go. Uh, turn right and go straight. <laughs> well, he, he took it off his car, and I'm thinking, huh? And that's interesting that he did that. <laughs> Well, and you can see what accompanied his life <laughs> was something completely different, right? Um, you have all of this stuff that people do, and it's just outward religiosity. It's religious stuff. And then you go into the world, and you see it with all of these people, with all of their, it's religious. What they're doing is religious, and it's all this religious, these religious signs and symbols, and it's, it's nothing. It's junk. 
It's junk. In comparison to what God is really trying to do through the believer today, it's junk. The only thing that's going to matter when you and I are at the Bema Seat Judgment is what kind of life that we live, how we allow the Holy Spirit to produce the life of the Son through us, and the activities that that was manifested in, and that's it. But the church is not convinced of that today. And, and I don't know what to say, but there's going to be a day of reckoning at the Bema Seat Judgment. And I understand it because I know some of the works and well, maybe God knows better than I do about that. Some of the works I can think of that I did. And as I said before, if you're behind me, get back. There's going to be a big explosion because those works are going to go up in a blaze of glory. Because I don't think they produced anything at all. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but I just don't think they produced anything at all. Why? Because I, they were done out of my effort. My effort to try to show people how righteous I was. My effort to try to show God how righteous I am by what I was doing. And that's what you have. And so God doesn't need that. And you can see in this, what is God doing? He's trying to allow the spirit to produce through you this vessel, the son's life, in activity, in the works that he has set aside for us to do. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. We complicate it. And we'll see that. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we have the great opportunity to be able to be ambassadors for you in this life as we are able to allow the Son to be produced in our lives as we allow the Holy Spirit to do that through the various good works that you've already planned for us to do. We don't even have to look for those good works. The Holy Spirit guides us into those works as we're able to allow him to do so. And so we're thankful, Father, for the privilege of being in this body because we know that as long as we're in this body, even though we're absent from the Lord, uh, we're in this body to accomplish those things that uh, you desire for us. And so we're so thankful for that, that privilege to be able to be here in your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we are in these bodies, and I want to talk about this. As you go back into 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> and notice what Paul says, and then we're going to back up a little bit and look at this, the fact that we're in these bodies. And so in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul um, is talking to the Corinthian believers, and he gives them some insight into um, what's going on. Uh, with him and what the point is of what it what you experience in this life you know we are going to experience some bad things in this life and and but there's a paradox to it for the believer and so he goes through these paradoxical things that the believer experience notice in second corinthians chapter four and notice we pick it up in verse eight he says but we are troubled on every side and so this word for troubled means to be at a loss, to be despondent. And so there's times in this world you're going to be despondent about things that are going on. And I, I just continue to tell people these things are normative to life. This is not abnormal. And the, you have the mental health people will tell you, oh, this is abnormal. You've got to do something. Well, maybe they need to do something. But for the believer, it's not abnormal. You're going to be at a point in time in this life when you're going to be despondent. And so, but notice, he says, the, the paradox, the conundrum of it, but not in despair. We are, uh, excuse me, but not in distress. We are perplexed, but not in despair. See the conundrum there? On the one side, you're despondent, and it should lead to just total wipeout. But for the believer, it doesn't, you see, because we have capabilities. You ever heard those people say, we, I've got skills? <laughs> we believers have capabilities. So for the unsaved person, that might lead to a total wipeout of them. But for the believer, nah. Nah, why? Because we have things that they don't have, you see. And so... Uh, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, 
but not destroyed. And here's the point. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. Where? In our bodies. In our body. And so this issue of your body, and this is uh, last uh, week we talked about this at the conference about the importance of the human body. And so uh, the body is important and it doesn't really matter the state that the body is in. God is using this human body while you are in it to bring glory to himself. This is what the unsaved people don't understand. So they have come to a point where they've, they've reasoned in their uh, minds that if this body is not what it has been, it's worthless. If it's, if and you can see a person, if they're a paraplegic, <clears throat> and this is how dangerously close these people are coming to, they don't believe that anyone who doesn't have a body that is of physical value, that it's worthless. And you might as well off yourself. This is where they're at. And they don't believe that anybody of any whose body is not of any value should, is worthy to live. And as I've told you before, um, what was it, Ezekiel, um, what's his name? Um, the guy that, uh, the big medical guy, doctor, he says that when he reaches 75, he, he, once you reach 75, you ought to just go ahead and kill yourself. This, this, is, this is how insane the thinking is for people outside of scripture. And so, I mean, you're getting back to the insanity of the uncivilized world. And they say that Christianity is uncivilized. Really, who is? And so notice, uh, so he says, this body and that you're in is of great importance. And the reason that it's of an importance is that it's, it's through this Fragile vessel, we're going to see, that God is doing a work through you. And so now we understand, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, that there are three parts of man. And a lot of people don't understand this. Uh, You have even a lot of people in Christianity who believe that man is of two parts. They believe that man is only body and soul. And that's why they believe that they are saving souls, even though there's a script. There's no scripture that ever says that you are saving souls. If somebody believes that and they said that that's the case, I would like to see the scripture. Now, they might go to uh, Hebrews 10, 39, uh, which is a variant there, which is not translated in the original. It doesn't really translate saving of the soul. But in the original language, you will not find one scripture that talks about saving souls today. Not one Why? Because when you are saved, you're saved within the realm of your human spirit. And that is crucial to understand in the Christian life. That is crucial. Your soul is unsaved. And that's why you get false emotions about what's real. And so notice in verse uh, 23 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be presumed blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have a body and then you have a spirit and a soul. Now what makes this problematic is that the body is going to affect you in one way. The soul is going to affect you in another way. And the spirit is going to affect you in a different way. The unsaved man, and this is why I say there's more psychology in the Bible than the psychologists will ever know. Can they measure soul and spirit under a microscope? Have you ever seen my soul and spirit? Have you seen it? You can't see it, right? How would you even know unless scripture told you that this is what you're made up of? You wouldn't know it. You know what happens when you die? Your soul and spirit is separated from your body. And that's what causes death. And so you got these people out here who don't understand that and they're making statements that they don't understand. And are not capable of understanding it. 
And so, in your body, when you, when you start talking about your body, it's a really important tool. Now, notice in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 15. First Corinthians six and verse fifteen. Now, notice Paul is uh, emphasizing the importance of the body, and that um, and the Corinthians didn't understand this because of the fornication that they were engaging in. And so, notice in verse nine, he says, "I wrote you." Um, I'm sorry, I'm in uh, 5. In verse uh, 15, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? So there was a prostitution issue in, in Corinth, and what he's basically saying is that your body, do you know that when you came to believe that the Father came to indwell you, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, and that the son is indwelling you. So just think about this. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> only one person could go behind the Holy of Holies. And that was the high priest. And he had to do this only once a year. And they had to tie a rope on his leg. So if he died, nobody else could go back there. So that was so set apart that only one person could go back here. And so you know that the word that is used for the temple of God today with us, it's the same word that is used for that inner temple where Christ dwelt. The sanctifying means <clears throat> or elements of that in which <clears throat> God was set apart back into that area and no one could go back there but one person. That your body represents that place today where the Holy Spirit dwells, where the Father dwells, and where the Son dwells. So he's saying that you're taking, when you are mess, when you are engaging with a harlot, you're taking your body, and you're taking the place where God dwells, and you're using it for that purpose. That's how serious it is. <laughs> and so notice, he says, that you're, uh, should I take the members of Christ? And make them the members of a harlot? God forbid! What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? Or really one flesh. Because the whole purpose of, of, of um, that kind of relationship is to form one flesh between the two people. So every time you do that, your body doesn't recognize the difference. Every time you do that, you're becoming one with each one of those people that you do that with. That's what you're doing. And so people don't understand that. And so notice he says, and the two shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And notice, and this is why he says that fornication is really a, a damaging thing. Why? Notice in verse 18, flee fornication for every sin that a man doeth is without the body. So most other sins that you will happen to commit are exterior from the body. The problem with these sexual things is that you're using your body to do it. And why is that a problem? Because you have three members of the Godhead who are indwelling you if you're a believer. And you're taking them with you. And so he says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Oh, you hear the unsaved people say, my body, my choice. Except for in certain things. <laughs> My body, my choice. No, I'm not, not a believer. My body is not my own. That's what God says. What does he say here? Verse 20. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And notice also, and in your spirit. 
Why did he not say so? I thought you were saved there. In your spirit, which are God's, you see. And you go back into 1 Timothy 4 and people say, well, got to keep this temple going, you know, got to keep it in shape. Well, you know what I'm finding? I have tried to keep this temple in shape, but it's not keeping me in shape. (laughs) The older you get, I don't care how much exercise you do. There is a certain amount. (laughs) There is a certain amount where... Where your body is just what it is. Now, I've told people I want to be like Jack LaLanne. He lived to be 92, and he was at 89 pulling a boat on the English Channel with his teeth. <laughs> I don't think they came out. <laughs> but, you know, you can do things with this body, but no matter what you do, it's going to give out. And so Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, eight, bodily exercises of a little prophet. But these bodies are important. Now notice in Romans chapter 12 what Paul says and how important it is. Now why does he say this? Because of what he says over in 2 Corinthians, I believe. So notice he says in 1 Corinthians that these bodies don't belong to us. So how we use these bodies are predicated on what God wants. Right? He bought us out of the marketplace. He purchased us to be used in this life in order for the life of his son to be seen out in these bodies. So the bodies don't belong to you and I anymore. So we can't say what the unsaved people say, my body, my choice. That would be untrue. And so notice what he says here in verse uh, uh, 1 of chapter 12 of Romans. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, or really your logical priestly service. So as a believer priest, which Paul, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, that each believer is a priest and we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. The sacrifice that is really important to God is your body. Why? Because In order for him to complete what he's trying to do through you, you have to give up your body. Now, as a living sacrifice, he's not looking for martyrs right now. Maybe you might have to die as a martyr, but that's not what he, he says, a living sacrifice. And what happens with that? Well, you go back in the first Corinthians chapter uh, 4 and verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, notice what Paul says. He makes a point of talking about the body as a place, uh, um, the body of the believer is seen as a place for God to operate in this dispensation. So in the Old Testament, he operated in the Holy of Holies. Today, where is the Son dwelling? Right in your body. Right in your body. I know some of you might find that astonishing. I mean, you think about that prospect, and it really makes you a little bit more alert about what we are doing with these bodies. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so this always is it's used four times this way in the New Testament on a continual basis, bearing about. It's this word bearing about is used in the New Testament of carrying something around literally. Uh, and you see it used that way of a bed or a doctrine of sorts uh, in, in Scripture. Uh, and so you're carrying about, notice, And the focus here is in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. And we'll get to this point uh, again, and what what does he mean here, caring about the dying of the Lord Jesus? And it's a very interesting point that he makes. But notice this body is also described, and it looks at the fragility of this body, and it's called an earthen vessel. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. 
In verse 6 he says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now this word for earthen is the word for, uh, we get our word uh, ostraca from it. Uh, And I'm going to give you this definition uh, concerning this out of Reinica Rogers. Uh, The Corinthian pottery was well known in the ancient world. And Paul may have been referring to the small pottery lamps which were cheap and fragile. Or he may have referred to the earthen vases, vases or urns, depending on where you're from, vase or vase. (laughs) The point seems to be that valuable treasure is contained in weak, fragile, valueless containers. And so it's an interesting thing as we think about our bodies. You might think that your body is a great thing. And I told someone last week I had seen a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, with his shirt off here recently. And you would say to him, brother, put your shirt back on. (laughs) He ain't what he used to be. Remember what Arnold Schwarzenegger used to be? And he all those rippled muscles and whatnot. You take his shirt off and he'd boy, I wish I could be like him. These bodies are fragile and they change. Believe me, they change. And the older you get, the more you see that. And so he says these these earthen vessels, vessels here is really the is used in scripture of instruments for use, used in um, uh, as instruments used by God on several occasions. One of the um, um, more important ones, it's First Peter 3, 7, is use of the wife as being a vessel that she's seen as being a weaker vessel. And that's interesting as he, uh, that's mentioned there in First Peter 3, 7. And so you have these bodies and their vessels that God is using. They've been purchased by God to be used by God for a particular purpose. And so Paul is developing that. And notice he says in verse 7, he says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not from us. And so this excellency is really the surpassing uh, greatness of the power. So what is he saying? He's he's going to the point there's something is being manifested in these bodies. But the conundrum is it's like putting gold in a brown paper bag. What's housed in the bag is of much more value than the bag itself. Have you ever seen that? People who, and they've, over time, they've come and found people who had things in containers that were just invaluable, and they found out what was in the container was of great value. It's not the container. It's what's in the container. And this is why, from a believer's standpoint, life always has value. It doesn't matter if I'm strong as Arnold Schwarzenegger or I'm I'm as weak as any human being could be. The value is still the same because of what's in it. And so it says that the excellency of the power, the word power there is the ability given for believers to operate. That there is a power that the believer has that is of an unbelievable value as the life of the son is manifested and utilized through this body. Let me give you an example. And this is in Acts chapters 6. They were marveling over the uh, ability of Stephen as he, was, um, as he was filled by the spirit. Notice in uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. <clears throat> And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the the synagogue of the uh, Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. 
Then they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes came upon him and called him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, this man ceased not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And so that was a manifestation of a glory, an outward manifestation of glory that was seen there with Stephen. And did that come from Stephen? No. It came, it was manifested through Stephen, but the power didn't come from Stephen. So here you're going to see as we continue to go forward, there is the potentiality for believers to manifest this kind of glory in what is ironically a body that is weak and subject to decay. No, I don't think that people fully appreciate this. I honestly think that spirit beings, as they look down from heaven, are looking at what God is doing. And the fact that he would put such kind of life in these kind of vessels, no matter what people are telling you, they don't become angels when they die. And angels, we see in Hebrews, that the human beings are made lower than the angels. So they are looking at these people who are housed, that God is putting in these human bodies, this kind of life. And that it's being seen out in these fragile, earthly vessels. And that it's just an amazing thing. And so Paul explains why he and the other apostles... um, Preach not themselves. And notice, if you go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And so he, uh, notice he says here, For God who has commanded the light to shine out of darkness... Uh, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is in the face of, of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, God, who before called the light out of darkness, where is he shining light at now? In the hearts of believers. That that light is being shined out. Now, this word for sh- shined is actually the word lampo, uh, that which is, has the ability to provide light for sight. And where is it being seen out? In our hearts. And so the heart is, uh, would be the mind, the will, and the emotion, which is how you see it in Scripture. Now notice Paul gives the purpose for, of God shining this in the hearts of, of believers, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So this word forgive or this phrase give is better facing, I would say, facing a light And this light is uh, the knowledge of the glory of God, or I would say, and give it this definition, a specific experiential knowledge concerning the manifestation from the glory of God, which is in the face of Jesus Christ, that this can actually be seen out in these earthen vessels. And so then you go back over to verse 10 and what he says here, uh, that the dying of the Lord Jesus provides the power for transformation from glory to glory. Second Corinthians chapter 4, notice in verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the, all, the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. Now this word for dying, the word dying is the word ne- necros. There's a couple of words that are used in scripture for death. Well, it's really a lot of words. <laughs> but the main two words is uh, you have thanatos, and it's used in scripture of separation. So when we say that someone died, you're looking at the word for the fact that their soul and spirit was separated from their body. When you said someone has been dead for a while, you're looking at the fact that they are in a state of death. 
they're in a state of death, and it's the word necros. And it describes the state that occurs after separation of the soul and spirit of the body, a continual state of death. Well, the Greeks were very specific. Again, I will say to you that the English language is very lacking in communicating truth. It's very lacking. So they have so many words for death, they get, they get it down to telling how you died, the, the, the nature of how someone died. Well, here, this one is looking at the fact that you're in a state of being dead. And so as you go to a funeral and you look at the body that is laying out there, I mean, this would be more necros. They didn't just die, <laughs> I don't think. They are already, they've, dead, they've died. Now they're in a state of being dead. Now, this is important, uh, and only in, in as much as he's, I think he, what he's connecting here is the fact that the believer has been connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and how that affects the process of the believers, of, of God's life being seen out in the believer. And so notice, um, well, we just look at a, a couple of places where this necros is used. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 26. James 2 and verse 26. So here's a good definition <clears throat> James gives of what death is. Death is, in a word, separation. So any kind of death, no matter what the kind of death it is, it's separation. And so notice he says here, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And so here, this ideal for death there that is used there is that it's in a state of being, having been separated, or in a state of death. And so when you, there's a little um, ending that is added on here uh, with this necros, and this uh, ending actually, it's, it's emphasizing the act of being in a state of death. And so let me just show you a couple of places where this is used. Look at... Uh, if you would, Romans chapter 4 and verse 19, and it's used of Sarah's womb. Or, excuse me, I think it's Abraham there. No, it's Sarah. Well, we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> it was Sarah. No. <laughs> well, we're living in those days <laughs> where people would say that. <laughs> but it was Sarah. <laughs> let's, let's be very specific. <laughs> Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so this idea of uh, the uh, Sarah's womb, that it was in a state of being dead, it wasn't just happening. It means that she had been in this state for a while. She was old. She was 99 years old. And so there, there was no activity there for quite some time. That's <laughs> what it's saying. <laughs> What's going on there? Uh, and so notice in, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, it's used uh, regarding uh, um, the sin nature. In Romans chapter 7 and um, verse 8, uh, um, and so notice it says here in uh, concerning the sin nature, which is, uh, and tells you really how you can overcome the sin nature and how important it is uh, what happens when you're not living by law. Notice he says, uh, verse 7, let's pick it up in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I would have not known sin, but that uh, by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But the sin nature taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of, of lust, or what concupiscence is lust. For apart from not just the law, which would be talking about the Mosaic law, but really apart from any law as a rule of life, a religious rule of life, if you get away from law, trying to come up with law to justify yourself, the sin nature is dead. It's in a state of death. It has no life. The only way that the sin nature can get life is I live by law. 
of some sort. That's the only thing that gives it power. And if it doesn't, if I don't live by some kind of law to try to justify or right myself, the sin nature is, is in a state of death. I'm the only one that can have to give it the uh, suction cups to try to pump it back to life. Come back. Come back. <laughs> I need you. Don't live by law. The sin nature is dead. Now notice, uh, and so notice what he says here in Romans 6, and I think here's the connection here with this necros. He looks at the fact that you and I were died together with Christ. That we're seen as being dead. And so here this body that we're encased in, it's being used by God. The life that I used to live, it's no longer. What did Paul say? Galatians 2, I've been crucified together with Christ. No longer do I live, but what? Christ liveth in me. Right? Now how does that happen? Notice he's going to tell you here in verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried together with him uh, by baptism into his death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a new kind of life. And so the believer is dead. Who I was before I was, as I was born into this world, I'm dead. What does that allow for? My body to be used by God. For the life of God to be manifest through this mortal body that I'm in. As long as I bring Kevin back to life, God's life cannot be seen out in this body. And so notice, going back to the 10th chapter, and we'll wrap it up, of the fourth, uh, the fourth chapter in the 10th verse of Second Corinthians. And so he says here, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And here's the point. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. And so... Uh, and this word that is a, really a phrase there. It emphasizes the purpose of things. And so this, the reason for why this carrying around the death of the, life of the Lord Jesus. Here's the real point. That the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And what does he mean here when he say the life of Jesus? Well, God's life as seen out in activity. God's life as seen out in activity. Now notice, and you can see this during the Son's earthly ministry. Look at John, the Gospel of John. Um, uh, excuse me, well, look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 4. So notice in verse 4, in the, in start with verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was uh, in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the word for life there, zoe, God's quality of life or eternal quality of life. And notice, and that life, was the light of men. And so as he walked around, we know for a fact he wasn't glowing. There wasn't an outward manifestation of light as we, Paul saw on the road to Damascus. What did he see? What did men see when they saw the sun? They saw God's life being seen out in a human body. Remember in John 7, as they were at the feast, and they went, the temple guards went to take him. And they went back to the Pharisees and said, we couldn't arrest him. And they said, why? Why did you not arrest him? They said, we've not heard any man speak like this man spoke. They saw a kind of life that they had never seen in activity. And so that, what is God doing today? What is glory how does glory occur? 
It's not that we're going around with a shining light. It's the life. The life can be seen out in activity. In the things that we say. In the things that we do. And so notice you see that uh, life was, uh, is indwelling the believer today. Notice in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. First John 5 and verse 11. In verse 9, let's pick it up there, and, and John writes, and he says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which has testified, he has testified of his Son. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar because he believes not the record that, uh, of, that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God has given unto us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He is having possession of this life right now. Now this is important. Because I know growing up, we were always understood that when you, when you die, you're going to get eternal life, right? That eternal life is out in the future somewhere. No, it's not in the future. You have it right now. Why do you have eternal life right now? Because the life is in the sun and the sun is in you. You have it right now. From the time that you believed, you are in possession of this life. So what is the key? God wants that life to be seen out in this body. How does that happen? As the Holy Spirit produces it. How does that happen? When I allow the Spirit to overcome my sin nature. That life can be seen out in this body. That's the point of what we're here for. That's what this is about. A lot of people have made it all about evangelism. Holding together, gotta win the loss! And they've actually torn the church asunder with that false premise. They never mention the person that has the gift of evangelism. Never mention them. Nor do they mention 1 Peter 3.15 that when you allow this life to be manifested through you, it raises all kinds of opportunities to evangelize. And they've made the church a mockery in their zeal to try to make it palatable for everybody. But you know what? Notice going back to, and we'll end here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that the life of Jesus, and, and I would say also, you want to see what that life looks like? Go back and look at uh, Galatians chapter 5. The, God's life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness. Self-control, that's God's life seen out. That the life of, notice he says, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest. Now that word manifest is very important to understand. It doesn't mean that everybody that sees it is going to understand what it is. There are two revelatory words, main word, revelatory words used in scripture. You have this word phanerao, and then you have apocalypsis. So this phanerao has the idea is that you can show someone something, but it doesn't mean that they will understand what they're seeing. But they'll take note of it, that they saw it, but they don't necessarily understand what it is. Many of the people, like those guards that went to get the Lord Jesus, they saw that life, but they didn't understand what it was. 
They didn't immediately say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's God, right? And so this word from, he says here that the life of Jesus might be made manifest. That word manifest, to reveal a thing without causing one to understand what it is. And you see that used in scripture, and I give you many references there you can look up. But the point is, the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That's the point. Suffering, persecution, sickness, none of those things make sense if you don't connect them with this point here. They don't make sense. And you see, and you talk to people a lot, and they ask you, well, why would God allow somebody to die of cancer and they're on their deathbed for all this time? It just seems pointless, right? No, it's not. Do you know there's nothing lost on God whatsoever? I'll give you an anecdotal illustration and we'll close. As my brother was dying of cancer, we were there in Detroit, and the night before he died, he was having some real struggles uh, of breathing. So we went down and uh, thought it good just to grab some hymnals, and we sang to him and whatnot. And it was interesting to me that as we sang to him, his breathing leveled off, and we prayed, and he just seemed like he got calm and the next day he died so you have people today who say that when you get to these situations the person is pointless life is pointless I think God still works in the believer because his son is indwelling these bodies and I don't think these people know what is happening when someone's in that state, I wouldn't begin to say, but I don't think that it's over until it is over. But you see, God can be manifest through these bodies. And Paul goes on to say in Philippians, whether by life or by death, both are good. We don't always see things that way, but God does. And we'll continue to see that as we go forward. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful to ask believers that we have the opportunity to glorify you while we're in these bodies. It's just an amazing thing that you chose us for this purpose and that you're in control of everything that happens every step of the way. And it's all a result of your power and not of ours. And we're so thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.